Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are members of Allen and Family Groups, and they'll be talking about living with the effects of someone else's alcoholism and how Allen has helped them to cope. Uh, so I've got Eileen and Kylie in the studio, so welcome today. Thank you. Welcome, Bill. Speak up. <laughs> hey, Bill. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think we'll start with you, Eileen. Um, so usually we just talk about growing up, sort of the family influences, and how you came in contact with the alcoholic. So what was life like for you growing up? Oh, I'm one of those lucky people that had a beautiful uh, childhood, a large family, living in the country, and uh, we did not have alcohol in the house. Ah. <laughs> so I did not know that um, alcoholics existed. I mean, I'd heard about them, but, you know, that wasn't something I was familiar with. And why was that? Uh, we now know uh, age does lovely things, teaches you lots of things. My um, mother, of course, had grown up with uh, quite uh, horrific alcoholism and its effects and so uh, she had made a house in which there was no alcohol <laughs> and uh, we didn't realise it you know uh, our father was allowed to go and have a beer and we used to think it was a lovely smell when he'd come home from his one or two beers at the pub and uh, it was a lovely smell and that was to me that was what you know alcohol was it was some place that you went down and had a couple of drinks and that was it yeah now, when you say he was allowed to go and have a couple of beers so was your <laughs> mum in control um i don't know whether you'd say in control but he certainly uh ha- grew up with a very strong respect for women and i think that was just part of how he saw the world it worked that uh, yeah. a woman basically decided what happened in the world. So I never, my mother was never a person who uh, spoke in a controlling way or did those things. Um, and I, th- I now know she probably chose him as a person who respected her wishes. <laughs> yeah, uh, which, which you need to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what brought you in contact with uh, alcoholism and an alcoholic? Oh, well, my own drinking, because yeah. uh, as a young person, you go off and drink and it's all great fun. Um, and uh, out of, you know, that uh, happened. Uh, what happened was I ended up, uh, you know, falling in love with an alcoholic and going off to have a wonderful life together and do all those wonderful things that you're going to do. Um, and uh, it wasn't really till after my second uh, child that I began to realise there was a lot going on here that was... Not good. <laughs> yeah, unusual, yes. Yes. So um, why did you? Why do you think you picked the, the alcoholic? Um, or the alcoholic picked you? I, I think, yeah. yes, I think the alcoholic picked me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that because uh, I think I am somebody who sticks by people um, through thick and thin. Um, 
and I think I do try to always uh, make things work and uh, that and I, I'm pretty sure that uh, but in the chaos of the time I don't know whether we either had real reasons <laughs> yeah. just how things turned out yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you can't you beat know, love yeah no that's <laughs> it you can't we didn't plan it all in any way so uh, yeah. yes so what did your mum think about your drinking and what did you think about you going with somebody who drank well they never saw my drinking because I was off at uni and oh, okay. doing yeah. whatever so yeah. Um, when my mother first saw the alcoholic, uh, she threw a hairbrush at him. <laughs> she recognised the alcoholic straight away. Yeah. And her lovely, you know, she died quite young, but her lovely word of advice to me was, if ever you feel the children are in harm, make sure you leave. And uh, so, you know, she was a fairly strong uh, spiritual person. I think that's why I like the Al-Anon program, I hear in it that same spiritual message yep. that uh, says, look after people. Yeah, look after yourself and look after people. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So the looking after yourself takes some doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll cut across to you, um, Kylie. So what was life like growing up for you? Um, you, know, you know, it's interesting. I've been just thinking a little bit about this even in the last week. It came to my mind and it's like, in a lot of ways, things looked pretty normal on the outside. Um, we were in lots of sports. Um, always one of our parents uh, took us to the sports. And sometimes, um, you know, when I was young, um, my alcoholic parent went through a period of uh, sobriety of a couple of years twice. And so I remember um, him actually being present at, at, you know, my brother's soccer games and stuff. And I, I was there too. And um so in a lot of ways, like we, you know, we had regular meals, um, we were in sports, and I recognize now that that was like a lot of, um, not all my friends that I know now as adults actually had that level of support. So for an alcoholic family and the chaos that that brought, um, it's pretty amazing, you know, really that my parents really did, were able to do that. And, you know, um, but, you know, but certain things were missing, like, um, certain routines, like there was just really never a homework routine. <laughs> and I was a high-achieving kid, and this really bothered me. <laughs> I really wanted to do well. It really bothered me, actually. It really made me really like I just had to do it myself. And, of course, I didn't have that as a kid, you know. I wasn't great at that. So, yeah, I struggled with ho- homework. I struggled with homework, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it was like – but I, I would say, like, the, the alcoholism kind of brought kind of a just – a general kind of like a chaos. It was just chaotic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> so who was the alcoholic mum or dad? My father was. Yeah. yeah. And did he have alcoholism in his family? Yeah. Um, interestingly, my so my dad's mother, I grew up uh, with that set of, around that set of grandparents a lot. And my grandmother, um, for most of the time I knew her, she had zero alcohol in her house zero and um, both her parents died uh, quite quite young and um, they were reasonably educated for the time and you wouldn't expect that given their education level their income level decent Mm. income level but um but one died sort of mid 40s and the other one early 60s and um i um yeah i think it was probably alcoholism going on with both of them right yeah okay um so what about your family did you have brothers and sisters yeah, yeah, I had a brother. Okay. Yeah. So did you ever talk amongst yourselves about your dad's drinking? Was that? Yeah, we did a bit. 
Yeah, yeah, we did actually about how horrible, horrible it was. How horrible it was, yeah. Mm. Just kind of his, how his behavior changed and how angry he was when when he was drunk. And he was a totally different person when he when he wasn't drink uh, like drunk at all. Yeah, very friendly and outgoing and a, kind of a guy that told jokes and stuff. Totally, yeah. di- totally different. Yeah. So yeah, we did we did talk about that. Yeah, and I know. Um, yeah, my brother was younger, and I know he found it hard for sure. Yeah. Okay. And how about your mum? What did she do to try and make it easier for the family? Um, she was very good at, um, she was really good at like being really routine with meals and like we always had a, a lunch kit with healthy stuff in it. And, um, they were good about not filling our house with junk food. Actually, they were pretty good about that. Actually, um, um, there was some agreement between my parents probably that there was never any beer in the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) I realized now that was probably an agreement between them. I'm sure they discussed that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So anyways, yeah, like she was, she was good at the routine stuff actually. And she, um, my mom got involved with Al-Anon and she was doing some hobbies for herself. She was learning guitar and I remember her starting to learn, um, stained glass and she did a beautiful window what else was she doing she was learning to really focus on herself from Al-Anon what else did she do um yeah anyways she's just doing these neat hobbies and stuff for herself she went back to school yeah, yeah. she's doing stuff yeah okay um and your journey through life yeah. did you find that you got on easily with kids at school and things like that no, like, um, no, not really. I didn't fit in great, honestly. It got better as I got older. Uh, it got better as I was kind of like in middle school age because I um, I did well at sports and that helped me move from being an, um, a smart nerd to yep. like a sport person. <laughs> and then I was accepted a lot more, actually. Yeah, that helps, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you drink as a teenager? Not very much as a teenager. Um, I was really against it, actually. So I just was really just not not into drinking at all. So not not very much, actually. Um, yeah, not, not a lot. Okay. So if I was with a group of friends, um, I'd be the one not, not drinking usually. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, so I'll go back to you, um, Eileen. So with your boyfriend, I suppose we'll call him at this point, that you've met and your mother didn't like. So did you find yourself drinking with him? Was that, a, was that an activity that you did? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, that was uh, part of, you know, travelling and uh, in, enjoying life. And um, we travelled around a bit of Australia. And, uh, yes, we had a great time, you know, which you do. Um, yeah, in, in the uptime when it's... Yes, yeah. and it's the social, you know, you're just yeah. meeting all these different people. And, of course, that's... Yes, that's how it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just listening to Kylie here and I'm thinking, um, when you're saying that with your mum, I thought that's, I, I now see in retrospect the failings as a, a person in an alcoholic marriage that um, you, you fail your kids so many times with, you know, their study, Little with things, their yeah. follow-up because yeah. there's always a crisis mm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. That's what I like, hearing other people talking about their experiences with yeah. alcoholism. It's always different, but the same. <laughs> the same, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so you said you, you travelled around a lot. So with living with an alcoholic, 
is often difficult. So what was your life like living with the alcoholic? Oh, it- we lived in tents, rode bikes, push bikes around, you know, did the Great Ocean Road before it was popular. <laughs> um, you know, just doing uh, lots of bike ridings. We even would take the bike apart and put it on a plane and fly from, you know, some what w- place uh, d- back to Melbourne or Sydney or whatever. So we did wow. really interesting things, yes. Yeah. We did a canoe trip, you know. We just yeah. went down the Murray River, just got a canoe and went. I think that's what I love, just that, that freedom yeah. of just get up and do anything. Um Yes, that's what I mean. It was uh, really enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And were you living in the city or not? When we met, we were living in the city, but yeah. we, uh, yes, left, uh, evacuated that pretty Pretty quickly? Yeah. Yes. Too much control? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was just we were both country people and we just yeah. uh, the city life wasn't for us. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. So what's it like living in the country town with an alcoholic? Yes, that I appreciated it because uh, you would know where they were. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, they were very – I didn't have to deal with any of the nasty people in town because they'd have nothing to do with me. Right. So only the very understanding, uh, yep. lovely people would have anything to do with me, which was a lovely uh, aspect. And having grown up in a small town, I did. But my children, I think, found that small town stigma of the alcoholic – a lot to grow up with, which... Yeah, uh, you know. it's hard. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you obviously had kids. Mm. Yeah. So what were they thinking about their father's drinking oh. as you were growing up, I, I, as they were growing up? I think they just hunkered down in the bedroom and helped each other get through yeah. it, um, especially at the time, you know, I would be shouting or screaming about something or other and that horror that goes on. And um, they are very supportive to each other even now uh, with that. And I think I really noticed when they started to get involved in the arguments that that was time to to separate. And we actually separated uh, quite a few times over there as the children were growing up. So they had an understanding that their father was not a well person. Um, But I don't think they ever realised how unwell I was too, (laughs) because I didn't realise how unwell I was either. So uh, Mm. I I admire my children for their uh, ability to love both their parents. (laughs) Yeah. So did you cover up your husband, I'm assuming, his drinking? Yeah. Um, uh, no, not really. Um, I, I didn't. I wasn't open about it. Um, but um, no, I didn't cover it up. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Carly, um, what what brought you in contact with um, um, needing? to talk to somebody about what was going on at home? What was, what was the sort of trigger that you had that there might be a different way to live? Oh, that's a really good question. Do you mean as an adult? Well, just, just as in, your, as, in your progression, well, as a child or an adult, yeah. Oh. Did, you, did you think at any time in your childhood that maybe there was a problem? That it oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. By the time I was eight years old, I was quite really well aware, and um, I was um, I was trying to talk to my dad about it. That did not go, go well. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> went <strange>. okay. It yeah. <laughs> went okay. Yeah. But yeah, I was right in there, just like, "Hey, this is a problem, and we need to do something," you know. But I had, of course, I had zero awareness of 
<clears throat> that you can't do anything about anyone else <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so did you, you know, did you take steps to get out of the family or? You know? I did. Yeah. I did actually like, um, and I didn't do it consciously, but you know, by the time I was, um, in high school, I spent actually the last year of high school living at my best friend's house. And it was sort of an arrangement, um, I guess, uh, between her parents and, and my mom and my dad was okay with it. He knew I was there. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was, um, it was just, it didn't have that, um, it didn't have any alcoholism or addiction stuff going on. So it was just way yeah. more calm. That's unusual, isn't it? Most people don't do that. So yeah. what, what did your host family think? Um, well, they, like, we had been really good friends for 10 or 12 years at that point, yeah. And it was like, I was like family with okay. their family. Yeah. And they um, adopted you. Yeah, they just adopted <laughs> me. I got adopted. <laughs> I did. Yeah. yeah. I've heard of that before, actually. Somebody mm-hmm. who, who, another family just helped her get out of the situation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you, did you find it difficult living with a different family? Having grown up in an alcoholic family, it's quite different living with a normal family. Yeah, yeah, it was really, um, yeah, well, they had a lot of different habits that were different than, it would have to do with values, right? Yeah. So it was a lot more permissive around, like, the kind of foods that you could have. And I thought, ooh, this is cool. I could have Slurpees all the time. (laughs) I was never getting them all the time with my parents, yeah. So so it was more kind of like freedom, I guess. Yeah. And it was really cool um, having my best friend, like, we were, that we were there together and we could got, just go do a bike ride or do do stuff together all the time, yeah. which was fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so we might take a break. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne. 
bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR. 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Got over 100 episodes of The Living Free Show available as podcasts. There, uh, you can access them from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, so you can check them out. If you want to send us a message, then you can either contact us via 3CR on 9419 or email us, 3 at gmail.com, and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Eileen and Kylie about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan and Family Groups. Um, So, Eileen, um, I think we left you where you had a couple of kids, your husband was still drinking. How difficult is it to live with an alcoholic? I don't think I know because I I realised that you just do. You just get things done um, and you live from crisis to crisis and um, you try to look after everybody in your care um, and that's really uh, how that living goes. You, you start to notice a certain uh, social... Isolation. Know, yeah. Yes, isolation <laughs> or, uh, yes, I don't know what denigration that goes with it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think you... And you see other people in similar and or worse situations. You know, we weren't desperate. Yeah. We weren't uh, homeless. We, You know, so I think you, you just think, well, we're getting by. Yeah. 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 So um, as your husband's alcoholism progressed, were things more difficult? Oh, definitely. Uh, as I said, we separated several times um, over the years. And that just became a matter of, you know... Um, you can't be here now. You cannot be here now. It would get so bad. Um, but as I said before, you know, Bill, we lived in small uh, country towns, you know, uh, and one of the good things was we came across some very good doctors in that time. Okay. And uh, one of them, uh, I think, started the road towards uh, recovery for uh, the alcoholic and um, rang me up one evening and said, uh, if you can get him to this rehab, I've got a place for him. And we did the dash, you know, the midnight dash, leaving the kids, you know, like they're shocking things that you do. Um, And just to get him to this rehab, uh, because that's how desperate you get at the time. Yeah. So did you you understand that that could be the start of a full recovery? No idea. No idea? No No. idea at all. And uh, it's through the alcoholic. I think I mentioned to you that I would never have got to Al-Anon if it wasn't for the alcoholic because the alcoholic told me I needed (laughs) Al-Anon. And uh, I I thought, no, I don't. I'm I'm not an alcoholic. And uh, it's not till you work the program a little that you understand Understand. how... (laughs) How damaged you are. Yes, how uh, altered you become uh, living with an alcoholic. And you can't blame them. Like, it's not their doing. It's not their fault. No. No. And uh, But you don't see that at the time. Um, So, yes, uh, I think that's... Okay. Um, The other one I was going to ask was, had you been to doctors before to get help? Not really, no. Mm. Um, 
I think we now recognise that the alcoholism probably masked a mental illness or prolonged mental illness. And uh, so I, at that time, um, and this was, uh, you know, early 80s, mental illness wasn't something that was spoken of. Yeah. And so you just, I think I said to the kids, you know, your dad's not well, but... Um, that was it, yeah. Yes, I don't think you'd went to a doctor for a mental illness at that time. No. Um, no. no. No, we used to do terrible things to people. It's, you know, institutions and well, all sorts of things. Was, the alcoholic yeah. had previously had electroshock treatment and things like that with yeah. people trying to do things about his behaviour. Mm. And uh, so I think for him, the idea of going anywhere near an institution that would do that to you... Um, I think he'd escaped from the last one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so I don't think uh, that wasn't on the agenda, no. Yeah. Uh, so post-rehab, uh, did he find AA? Uh, eventually. It yeah. took a few years and a, a couple of tries. But, um, uh, yes, and he's been in uh, recovery uh, and in the program for a long time. And you can, I can see now what the program could do for him that I never could. You know, you yeah, always think yeah. you can do something. You know, yeah. even as an eight-year-old, you think, we've got to be able to do something about this. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I see now what the program could do for him that I just had no chance to do. Um, and it's only now through Al-Anon I, I can understand that uh, for me to even be thinking like that meant that I was basically obsessing about his alcoholism as as you know, a family problem, yeah. uh, rather than recognising that he has to do something about it. And he did. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yes. Um, so with you, Kylie, after you went and lived with your friends at your friend's house for a while, while you were finishing school, so did that change your relationship with your father or your parents? Uh, yeah, I think... I- I think it did, like, um, it would have created, now, when I think of it now, it would have created, um, like, more distance, like, more space. It would it would have helped me at that age to really focus a lot more on myself, and I'm sure it was just a really intelligent thing that happened, because it was just allowing me to focus on finishing those courses to finish school, right, in a, in a much less chaotic yep. place, yeah. So I think it was good. Okay. So, and did you move out of, you'd moved out of home, but did that, was that the last time you went home? Did you then go off on your life? Um, within a couple of years, yeah. So from there, where did I live next? Um, actually, I, when I graduated school, I rented an apartment on my own, a one-bedroom apartment. So I had that. I lived there, and I was working nearby, and... Um, I think I did go, after that, I think I did go back and live with my mom for about a year when I was 18. And then probably after that, I was on on my own. Okay. So what did you find about living on your own? Did you find yourself a capable person? Oh, like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think I was, you know, I think I was quite... To a large degree, I was unaware of, like, all the different things I would have to do as an adult, yeah. honestly. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. So your relationships with other people, did you have problems in relationships? Um, yeah, I have had. Um, 
I tend to I tend to be, and a counselor made me aware of this, and I really see it now myself. Um, she did that a couple of years ago. Um, I tend to be really accommodating. Um, I'm just now getting to the point where I where I I I do get I do get fed up. I'm just now speaking um, quite directly about stuff, and. Um, and I've hid my feelings for a long time, and I now I just show them. Yeah. I use my angry words. <laughs> I don't worry so much about how the other person feels. I focus on expressing what I feel now. Now, yeah. finally, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you have to let other people know the real you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because for so long we just sort of su- suppress the real us, and we try and people mm. please, and that doesn't get us anywhere. Mm-mm. No. No. We get trampled on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you think that you needed help? Um, I think <clears throat> I think um, it was actually in, in my it was when I was about 37 and it, it, it was tied in with when my dad became ill with cancer and then that somehow like took me from an unconscious state to a more mm-hmm. conscious state actually and I um I just started uh, kind of Googling about um, what if you were a child that grew up in an alcoholic home. Really, yep. that's sort of where it started, yeah. And what did you find? Well, I, I read a, a couple of books about, I dis, and I discovered there was a laundry list of traits and... Yeah, there Tick were these, the boxes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There were these behavior, behaviors, behavioral changes... Yeah, and um, um, yeah, I identified with quite a bit of that stuff. And as I've been working on recovery, I, every time I look back at those things, I can sort of see them changing, which is nice, yeah. Yeah. So what brought you in contact with Alan on that? How did that happen? Um, well, my, my dad had gone to AA when I was a child, and my mom had, had got involved with Al-Anon. And um, so I kind of like grew up with it to some degree. Um, and I knew it to be a positive influence, so it, it made an impact on me when I was a kid. And um, <clears throat> and then my partner, um, my longtime partner, uh, a friend in recovery of his, had said, "Oh, why don't you maybe try Al-Anon to him?" And then I ended up I ended up going too. That's sort of how it happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So your your partner obviously had alcoholic. Uh, relationships as well mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay mm. yeah it's um we tend to be attracted to people with problems <laughs> yeah we do i think we it's do. sometimes uh we use the word recovery all the time and yeah. it's the fact that i i liken it to being a a soldier or you know the post-traumatic stress uh, thing. so you do like to be around people who have an understanding of it. You don't always want to talk about it, mm-hmm. no. but you have an understanding that there's something else there that you, you don't really need to mm-hmm. bring out in the open because it hurts too much. Yes. You know, and that, that I think sometimes uh, with Al-Anon you find the same thing, that mm-hmm. you need, there are people there who are hurting yep. and you just feel it yeah. the same, <laughs> post-traumatic stress. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, with, back to you, Arlene. Um, so... Your husband got into AA, so how did that help him? Oh, wonderful. Uh, 
as he said, you don't really get sane for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, as he said, his first few years of recovery, he just felt he could climb mountains and do everything. You know, yeah. suddenly, you know, you, you don't have this compulsion, or you, I suppose you still have it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I just know that uh, uh, it, it came as a great source of uh, comfort for him and he was able to uh, stay sober and... That's a miracle, <laughs> you know. So uh, just from looking at the outside of it, I could see that uh, for him it was very important. And I think it was just exactly that. He had to be with people who felt the same, you mm. know, um, even if they didn't talk about it all the time. But yeah. I don't know what they talked about all the time. I went to a few meetings, you know, yeah. uh, open meetings. Yeah. So, so did that it. help you? Oh, knowing about alcoholism yeah. huge uh, to know about it and to feel uh, what I loved with when I first walked into uh, Al-Anon rooms was the word compassion for the alcoholic mm. and that I knew I was in the right place because this wasn't a person to hate um, you know uh, this was a person that needed help and um, I couldn't give it to them so the the idea that you would blame this person was uh, horrendous to me so I could never think in those terms so the first few meetings that you go to and learn about um there and the honesty it's it's quite raw i don't really want to go all the time now but uh you know they are and uh my husband explained it to me once he said as an alcoholic you can't be flexible you know and and we Alanon often say we're a bit more gentle you know (laughs) we don't rip the bandage off like this we we do it when we're ready but uh, they haven't got the flexibility as alcoholics to do that they have to deal with it raw and honest straight away yeah one drink two two minutes that's it (laughs) okay well so we'll take another quick break red alert Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. G'day, this is Jacob from the Friday Rave. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm chatting with Eileen and Kylie, and we're talking about the family disease of alcoholism and how Alan family groups can help. Eileen, back to you. So your husband got into AA. Did yes. you immediately get into Alan? What was that process? Um, I, I 
went to one meeting. Uh, as I said, we lived a lot of the time in the country. Um, I went to one meeting um, and then I did not get to another meeting for eight years. <laughs> and I, very providentially, a lady gave me a book one of our lovely books, Courage to Change, at this meeting that I went to. And for the next eight years, that really uh, helped me get by. Um, I ended up talking a lot about it uh, with my husband as he was going through his recovery. Um, and I think that's why, in lots of ways, I didn't realise how much help I needed because I thought it was I was supporting him in yeah. his recovery. His problem, which, yeah. Yes. <laughs> You, you went to one hour on a meeting, then you didn't go for a long time. Yes, and so, then uh, eight years later, I, I uh, was fortunate enough to be able to live in a, a larger regional centre and so I could go regularly to meetings and uh, it was just wonderful to, to go into the rooms and to be able to. I think it's a pretty common experience that you cry for your first three or four meetings and um, I think uh, I, I did that. I don't remember a lot about it, but I do know... It was a wonderful place to be at that time because nobody else really understands who you are. Um, you well, haven't got a problem no, as such, no. but you are in need of... Support. Yes, yeah, yeah. support. Right. Um, so did you? what did you think when they said there, there isn't a solution to the problem? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I think that's... What I really liked about the program, because I'm a bit of a, an analyst, I like to analyse things and work them out. And I did a lot of, you know, reading on alcoholism and all of this, not much on people who live with alcoholics, but on mm. alcoholism itself. Um, and I think so, that's what I needed. Yeah. Okay. Well, over to you, uh, Kylie. So coming to Eleanor then, what did you find helped you the most? Oh, when I was first in Eleanor? Yeah. Um, okay, I was first going to a meeting in the city and it was quite, it was quite large. Like it would have 40 or 50 people actually Whoa. in quite a big room. Yeah, it was quite big. And I was going to that for a couple of years regularly. And I just found, um, I just found it was kind of like, it was just kind of like I could just express it. And what's really big for me about al is it's like, we can just express things. We don't interrupt each other. We don't get all judgy with each other. That's a major thing for me. Yeah. I'm used to a lot of judging going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate that a lot because it's just, well, it's actually, it's like a, it's a loving group of people, you know, it's, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people sort of think of it as a recharging the batteries. Does it do that for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It sort of gives me like a recharge of clarity maybe or something. Yeah, for yep. sure. Okay. And how have, how has it helped you in your day-to-day -day life? Um, well, I've, le I've been learning more and more, and I think this all started with Al-Anon really, was um, I've been learning more and more to just not sweat the small stuff and to prioritize better, these kind of things, prioritize better. Um to value my physical health, um, my, you know, my psychological health, my physical health, my spiritual health, the different um, sort of aspects of my health. Yeah. yeah. Um, be more conscious that I can make um, decisions and, and choices um, that are healthier. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, and, and what about accepting where you are? Yeah, yeah, just um, just an acceptance of, hey, an acceptance of this is how things are right uh, are right now, but um, but um, this too shall pass, and things change, and nothing nothing really is permanent, and it's yeah, I have a much deeper understanding of that that things change all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's the hope that things can change. Mm-hmm. I think coming in, most people don't really feel that. It, the change can happen, mm-hmm. but you become aware that it can happen in spite of you, mm-hmm. that a change can happen and you can benefit and people go, oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes the changes aren't good. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes no, the changes are yeah. bad yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you have to handle a bad situation yes. that you can't handle. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think, you know, you were saying that about the solutions. I think that's the big thing it gives you is that there doesn't have to be a solution, no. that you can just put one step in front, foot in front of the other and um, and handle what's happening. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Eileen, from a, a country perspective... There's not a lot of country meetings and often they're widely spaced apart. So what's it like living in the country and trying to get to a meeting that is remote? Oh, yes. I uh, When I was uh, working one time, I had to travel oh, 70 or 80 k's to a meeting at night um, and I would have a power nap on the way because <laughs> I'd be tired after work and... I never needed a sleep on the way back. I would be <laughs> energised to coming back, but I would not miss those meetings no matter how tired I was. And that's when I began to recognise that this was doing something. I'd given up the trying to analyse what it did or how it did it yeah. um, and just recognised that whatever it was was making me um, able to live life with a, a bit more joy. Mm. Um, and I think that's because you do stop focusing on the alcoholic and alcoholism, um, and I don't know why it is in Al-Anon that we we need that to get us back on track or something. But it mm. uh, it certainly was, it, as you said, in country areas, there's not a lot of Al-Anon uh, meetings. Um, there's a few AA. There's a travelling group of AA people, I think, that go around and Al-Anon. Uh, tag along with them yeah, yeah. to to do that, um, and I thought, oh, one year I must do that because it is so needed. You do get just small town help anyway. Yeah, there's there's yeah. the the I used to call it the women's handshake. You know, yeah. the the uh, right hand there just shaking like this. I know what you're going through, and yeah. a lovely lady, one of the neighbours, just used to in the middle of an argument come over and grab me. Out of the house, yeah. <laughs> just like come over with me, and that's what she'd do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's yes, surrogate uh, Alanon people, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I think the other thing is about resentments. We don't realise how many resentments we have until we start talking to people, and our attitude is exposed. And you can see this really unusual thinking. And once it's pointed out, you go, "Oh my God, I better do something about this." Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Carly. Mm-hmm. Recovery, how has it helped you get on with life? Um, it's, helping me, it's helping me in a really big way, actually, around, <clears throat> around being a lot more an active determinant of the parts of my life that I can be, um, but realizing I always have to look to a higher power for, um, to support me to carry that out. And um, 
So I will never have um, absolute control as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never have that. But I can, I can, I can be like an active agent in my life. I don't have to be so passive. Yeah. I don't have to be stuck. So I mean, I can make. I'm. I'm making. Um, I can make choices by not making choices. <laughs> even yeah. that's what I've done yeah. in the past. Yeah. So it's like I can choose where I live. I can choose to be self-employed or employ or have an employer. I can choose. Um, yeah, I can just make so many different choices. I could choose what relationships in my life are healthy for me, which aren't. I can express what I'm concerned about. The person can decide to make changes or not. It's their choice. I can choose to have less contact or more contact with people. Yeah. Like, yeah, lots more choice. Yeah, which you always had, but you just didn't exercise yeah exactly yeah. yeah i didn't know wasn't fully aware and like uh, how to how to do that yeah yeah or if you could like you know being permitted to to actually be yourself mm. i think it's a something that gets squashed in children in mm. alcoholic mm-hmm. situations i think so yeah yeah okay um so um eileen when things changed inside your family how did your children respond to the new you um i think the greatest change i think they survived their childhood with help from each other and uh you know they loved their parents that that, you know we weren't cruel or mean uh overtly um and they understood that there was something not quite right. Um, But I think in recovery, in their father's recovery, uh, it has given them a wonderful, like, gift of kind of hope that uh, this this can happen, you know. Mm. Um, Somebody can recover from such terrible situations. Yes, and and that um, this wasn't a a horrible man who made choices to be like that. and I think also the wonderful thing I've learned is that it's okay to do nothing. You know, to give – when you were saying that, Kylie, yeah. I thought, oh, that was one of the big gifts was that I – and I, I stopped micromanaging their lives too, thinking that you always had to overcompensate or do something yeah. for them yeah. to make up for uh, things. And so you can just do nothing and sometimes you've really got to work hard yeah, to actively do nothing. Do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, I like to think of it actively do nothing to make the situation worse. Uh, well, mm. yeah. that's, yeah. yes, very yeah. true. And I think that's with the children. I think they're learning that too, that, yeah. um, you know, uh, all they have to do is, is enjoy life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alan and Family Groups, uh, you can find them on one three hundred. Two five two six six six, or you can go online at alanon.org.au. I've got a quick announcement. There is an Alcoholics Anonymous public information night planned for Friday the 11th of October at the Mary Keogh Community Centre, 224 Dank Street, Albert Park, 3206. There are AA and Alanon Family Group speakers for the benefit of the public and professionals. It starts at 7pm and finishes around 8.30pm with a light supper to follow. If you'd like more information, you can contact John on 0478 166 947 or Lucy on 0414 157 980. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Arlene and Kylie for coming in and sharing their Alan and Family Goods recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, Bill. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be having our World Mental Health Day special and we're going to be joined by some guests who will share 
their lived experience. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. And to take us out, I've got a song called All That Was Left by Carmen Townsend. themselves out.